Go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. And uh, we're continuing our series through this book. And um, I've entitled this series Apathetic. And uh, we talked about last week what that looks like and how often we have a tendency to just become complacent. How we just have a tendency to take an I don't care attitude. All right? And uh, that's not what we want. Okay? Uh, everyone turned to your neighbor and said, that's not what you want. And it's important that we remember that. And each step of this, throughout the whole book of Malachi, you're going to find that there's a different subject matter, a different focal point that God takes and says, all right, you need to, you need to be cautious here. And you need to be aware. And specifically here, he's using Malachi as a vessel to communicate with Israel. Everyone say Israel. Israel is the focal or the uh, the focal point or the audience, the recipients of what is being recorded here, and it's important for us to remember that as well. Because if we just open this book and go, "All right, God, what are you saying to me?" We're going to miss the reality that He's speaking to Israel first. And as we understand why He's sharing these things, why He's speaking these rebukes, and what's taking place, we can better understand who God is. And therefore, better understand who am I called to be in light of who God is. Okay? Now, I'm curious. I'm, I anticipate almost all of you. If you haven't done this, you know what it is. How many of you, at, at some point or another, have played the game Follow the Leader? Follow the Leader. Show me your hands. Yep. Okay. All right. And if you have little kids, this game could be really fun because you could say, Hey, Follow the Leader. Let's go pick up your toys. Come on. I have yet to get that one to work for longer than about two minutes, but I have tried it. But this is a game where you, you love it as a kid because really it gives you the opportunity to boss people around without getting in trouble, right? And so my kids always argue over who gets to be the leader because this is the one time that you get to tell your sibling what to do and they have to do it. And we, they employ the same strategy oftentimes at kids club or other ways when you're, you have a line leader and everyone's following that leader and sometimes they might skip or sometimes they might jump, sometimes they might uh, wave their arms or whistle a tune or something. And everyone else follows suit. Now the, the implications of that go much deeper because whether we recognize it or not, as adults and even more so as followers of Christ, if we believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, we mimic that which we see as our leader. Okay? We mimic that which we see as our leader. Now, we could fill in the blanks a lot with whatever that is. To identify what is leading me, what are the things or the, the, the aspects of life that I would look at and go, okay, this is definitely something that takes a leadership role in my life. And often, without even thinking about it, we become like that which we see as leading. And so as we approach this today, the first thing I want to ask you personally is to think about in your life, what is it that is leading you? And then as a second question to ask and consider, I want you to think about what would it look like, how would my life be different if it was shaped by, motivated by, transformed by God in that leadership 
role. And church, what we often find is that that which we are most prone to follow is often not what is of of God. Because it's easier that way. And we talked last week about our tendency is to honor or respect or follow after our earthly masters and leave God to the side. And specifically in our text today, what we're going to find is that God has a specific rebuke for leaders. And in this case, specifically the priests. And we're going to talk about that a little more. But there's application for this as we consider who we see as leaders and what standard of accountability do we hold those things or those people to in order to navigate a godly leadership role as opposed to an ungodly one. So I would ask you to join me. We're going to read Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. It says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. Everyone say, it's for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. When I read that this last week, I stopped and sat for a minute and thought about that. This is serious. Everyone say it's serious. And you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Now, before we get in depth into this specific text, I want to emphasize what we saw last week when we recognize in chapter 1, God rebukes the people because they were tainting, they were dirtying the altar of God. They were making what was meant to be clean, unclean. They were profaning it, as Malachi said, by bringing sacrifices that shouldn't have been brought. And so now, after he's rebuked the people and said, hey, this is not okay, You, you don't honor me, you don't fear me, I am not number one here. He now turns his attention to the spiritual leaders of that time, the priests. Now, the broader question we should be asking when we come to something like that is, what was the point of the priests? Everyone, ask that question. What was the point of the priests? That's a good question. Let's look at it. 
So the first mention of priests in the Old Testament is really in Genesis chapter 14 to a guy named Melchizedek. Everyone say Melchizedek. I love that name. And Melchizedek, we we don't know a lot about him other than the fact that he was identified specifically in Genesis 14, 18 as a priest of God and specifically interacted with Abram. Okay? There, there was significance there to who he was and the office that he carried out. Now, the first perpetual, what I'm going to call perpetual priesthood, as many of you would identify, is first seen in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we have the story of the nation of Israel being delivered out of Egypt. And here you have Moses and his brother, what was his name? Aaron, good, okay. His brother Aaron... And God makes, establishes Aaron and his lineage, which is really the tribe of Levi, to be the perpetual priesthood over the nation of Israel. And that's why as you read scripture and you identify the Levites, that would have been, we, had, we talked about this last week, that would have been Jacob's son, Levi, one of the twelve, okay, Aaron and his descendants were descendants of Levi. They were a tribe of the Levite tribe. And God said, you will be the ones to oversee what takes place as priests. Now, the question more specifically becomes, what was their purpose? What was the reason behind this? And their task was to uphold the ritualistic practice of the sacrificial system. Literally standing in the gap for God's people. Now, in present day, we ask the question, why was that necessary? And I'll bring you back to this reality that, how many, alright, question, poll. How many of you have sinned? Everyone's hand goes up because Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? All of us are in the same boat. So, good news, none of you are in worse shape than the rest of us. Okay? Alright? We're all in need of Christ. More specifically, we are all in need of atonement. We are all in need of a payment for our sin. The same was true for the nation of Israel. That is not a new concept. The difference is is that God established this covenant relationship with His people before the time of Christ here on earth. Where He said, this is how you have to deal with sin. And man, I tell you, it was a bloody, nasty job. And that's what all the Old Testament, the beginning of the Torah, the first five books of the the Old Testament, okay, the, the Pentateuch, talks about the specifics of that. And these priests literally would stand in the, at the altar of God all day long and would sacrifice for people over and over. If you can think of a whole nation of people coming to that place to sacrifice for their sin constantly, then you can imagine even the stench, the smells, everything that was taking place in the midst of that. It reminded the people that they were sinful people. And they were called to bring the best of the best to come and offer the best of their flock, the best of their crop, the first fruits of their crop were to be given over to God. 
And the priest facilitated that. Now, if we fast forward to present day, this is where it gets really exciting for us, and yet we miss this so often. Present day, there is no need for a priest because through Christ, we have become a holy priesthood. Now, I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to explain it. There's no need for a priest because through Christ, we have become a holy priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now understand here for a second that this in no way, I want to be really clear here, this in no way nullifies the covenant relationship that God has with his nation Israel. God has promises that he has made from way back before Jesus' time with the nation of Israel that we believe are still going to be fulfilled when Christ returns. But the depth of what this is speaking to is that through Christ, we don't need a priest to stand in the gap because Jesus already did. We no longer have to bring sacrifices because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for all to be atoned, for all to be redeemed. And that's why we believe that the only way for salvation is through Christ. See, the only way for people to be atoned, to be right in God's eyes in the day of the priest was to sacrifice. And so you do await the sacrificial system. There has to be something else that takes its place. In this case, it was Christ. Now, to emphasize this and to show that this is not just me talking, but it's Scripture speaking, in Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's what we just talked about. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's a lot, but the simplicity of that emphasizes this reality that Jesus fills that gap. And if you go even further into Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, it emphasizes since now we can enter the throne room, the place that was only designated for the priests in the Old Testament. Through Christ, we can enter boldly into that place, the holiest place. We have direct access to God through Christ. This is why prayer is such an important thing, church. Because for the nation of Israel, the whole concept of being able to stand in the presence of God and speak directly without the need for a priest was unheard of. We have that ability through Christ. Praise God for the freedom we have in Christ. Now all of this is really a preface to the reality of what leadership looked like within the nation of Israel, being that this is who it was written to. And so this morning, based in Malachi 2, with the brief time that we have, I want to emphasize to you marks of an authentic leader, according to Malachi chapter 2. The first one is that an authentic leader listens to God's prompting. In verse 2 of Malachi 2, God himself says, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, To give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And he goes on and he says, indeed, I'm I'm already going to do it because you haven't taken it to heart. You haven't listened. Now here is this group of people, the priests, who have been set apart specifically to stand in the gap. To represent the people before God. And there are... Just doing their own thing. They're allowing the sacrifices to be profaned. They're allowing this to take place. And God's saying, hey, there's still an opportunity here for grace to be shown if you will listen. And yet, they didn't. So often in our culture today, we complain about leadership. And in many senses, as we look around at what leadership has become, it's understandable. And yet, church, oftentimes we can become so good at complaining or identifying what's wrong with leadership that we forget to look for and identify what it's supposed to look like. And the reality is, it shouldn't be what you and I think leadership should look like. It should be what does God say this should look like. And I know that Almost everyone in here, I would say that to, and they go, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Well, oftentimes what God calls leadership to and desires it to look like is not what we want it to look like. Because the reality is, church, that when God speaks a truth and leaders follow after that truth, it often results in us being uncomfortable. Because there's a lot of things God calls us to, God commands us to, that is not comfortable. And so we might go, well, I don't want a leader who's going to make me do that. Well, what do we do if God says that's what we're supposed to do? 
An authentic leader listens to God's prompting. That's the first thing. Secondly, an authentic leader honors God in practice. At verse 2 again, if you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, to honor the Lord. Verse 5, my covenant with him, this is specifically speaking to God's covenant with the lineage of Levi, was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. He stood in awe of my name. What the church needs most, what Israel needed most, was the personal holiness, the personal relationship of the leaders with God. An authentic leader honors God in practice. It's easy. It's easier. It's way easier to stand up and speak what should be, church. It's another reality to honor Him with what we do, with how we live. Understanding that this principle applies specifically to leadership over Israel in this time, but the same principle applies to us as leadership in the church. The same principle applies to you who are leaders in your home. For you who are leaders in your job, in the community around you. These are not absent from application when it comes to being a leader in everyday life. To listen to God's prompting, to honor God with how you live and what you do. This cannot be something that is only a staple of leaders, quote-unquote, within the church body. And we expect the church to flourish. It has to be something we all recognize. Thirdly, an authentic leader teaches truth without partiality. Look at verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. Verse 9 says the same similar thing. And so I make you despised and abased before all people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. Church, I pray that you would hold me accountable to not being partial in what I teach you from God's Word. I don't want to teach you just the parts that we want to hear. I want to give you instruction as what God has called us to do and to be. The easy way would be to enforce the aspects of God's commands that are easy to do. To allow the people to bring sacrifices that weren't enough. That weren't up to spec, as we would say. To just turn a blind eye to some of those things and some of those realities. To only teach things halfway often leaves us in a place where people like us, where people like us, they like us, but makes God look like we want Him to be something we've created rather than us representing a God who does not change. As we think about these three truths, an authentic leader listens to God's prompting. He honors God in practice. He teaches truth without partiality. 
The text also reveals the results of both failed and authentic leadership. The results of failed leadership. First off, you see in this text that there's a curse on that which should have been blessing. Verse 2 again, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Imagine that for a second, church. Imagine we seek to speak blessing, to encourage, to walk alongside people. And because of our failed leadership, our failed reality to stand where God has called us to stand, to do that which God has called us to do, we have those blessings cursed. And that's exactly what happens to the priests who are in this situation. The results of failed leadership, you will be despised among all people. This is where this gets really intense. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. This is generational. It doesn't just impact those who made the bad decisions. It impacts generations to come. And we see this throughout Scripture take place. And spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now, why would he use that kind of language? The reality is, is it would make them unclean. In the same way the sacrifices they were bringing were unclean. In the same way that the way they were living before God was unclean. He's saying, this is what you're going to be known for. This is what you're going to be known for. And in the midst of this, just like when we play that game, follow the leader, the results of failed leadership is that it causes many to stumble. Causes many to stumble, church. But there's hope in this. The reward for authentic leadership. Verse 6. True instruction was in the mouth, in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned, get this, he turned many from iniquity. Iniquity is just a big word for sin. Through the successful leadership that was taking place before this time in Scripture, many people were turned from iniquity. And saved from destruction because the leaders in that place decided this is what God has called, this is what He's commanded, this is what we're going to do. Verse 7 tells us, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. The reality that The reward of authentic leadership is that people seek instruction from this person. Again, the application for this extends far beyond simply this specific context. If we're an authentic leader who's seeking after what God seeks after and we're longing for what He pursues, then as people begin to see that, they begin to see success in what's what's happening, what's taking place. I'm convinced that that's the kind of leader people want to follow. 
people seek instruction from this person. And lastly, but certainly probably most important, is that God is honored when leadership is authentic in nature. Church, I have to just, as we're talking about this, before I end with our application, I just want to encourage you by saying how much of a blessing it has been to serve alongside the leaders in this body. And many of you don't know this, but twice a month, the leadership of our church gathers together, and there have been many times that we spend more time in prayer over the things going on in this church than we spend talking about the business that takes place. There have been many times that the first hour to hour and a half or more, if needed, is spent sharing what needs we're aware of within our own body, within our own community, and we just take the time that's needed to pray over these things. I don't know that you realize how unusual that is in this day and age, church. Furthermore, to walk alongside a group of leaders in the church who are not only speaking truth, but they're living it in how they seek to walk alongside people, how they seek to teach and encourage those who are in the church body, but not just that, outside of that in the places they serve and the places they work. And while we may have in the back of our minds, areas where we think they could do better or where we think that they could succeed more or be more intentional, we fail to recognize the things going on behind the scenes that I, as a pastor, get to witness and go, thank you, Lord, that I get to serve alongside men such as this. Now, I don't share that. They, they didn't ask me to share that, okay? I don't share that to puff them up. I share it because I want you all to recognize that there is a desire and a longing to pursue what God calls leaders in the church to do and to be here. And we're going to continue to do that as we seek to train them more, as we seek to move forward in that and appoint people who have that same desire, that same passion, that same vision. And so here is the application I want to leave you with today. Pray for your leaders. Pray for them. Because knowing that as the leaders go, so often goes whatever is being led. The enemy attacks leadership. And will continue to do so. Pray for them often. Pray for their families often. Pray for future leaders. Secondly, Call your leaders into biblical accountability. And I want you, if you note that down in your book, I want you to underline three or four times, biblical accountability. Okay? Not personal accountability. Not your idea of accountability. Biblical accountability. In the sense that if you see a leader living in a way that's contrary to Scripture, you bring Scripture and you have a conversation about it. You don't talk about it behind, your back, behind their backs with other people. We don't bring something that's a personal vendetta and attack leadership in that way. We do it biblically as God has outlined. And if you ever want to know what that looks like, read Matthew 18. 
Pray for your leaders. Call them into biblical accountability. Thirdly, this is the one that gets missed. Praise these qualities that you see in others. We're really quick, church, to identify the areas where leadership is failing, but yet we are really slow and often very bad about speaking encouragement when we see biblical leadership lived out. Pray for them. Keep them accountable. Praise leadership qualities. Maybe in someone who doesn't even know they're a leader yet. And allow God to use that to grow His church, to grow the impact of that community. Now the cool thing is, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and this is what's happening, and then Jesus shows up several hundred years later and brings new life. And what we see is the church established and the opportunity for that to develop and flourish and grow. And this is all part of God's plan. We have an opportunity, church, to be a part of God's plan for the days forward. And though we don't know what that will hold, we know what we're called to, according to God's Word. So, be intentional with your leadership. Recognize the reality of that follow-the-leader tendency. And let's follow God first and encourage those who God's appointed as leaders over us. Now, I'm just going to close us in prayer today. As we think about the depth of this, as we process this, I want us to consider even more. The challenge for the six weeks is asking the question, who, what, does, what does God need to be over in my life? And to pray intentionally about that. And today, the reality of that is, we need God to be over the leadership in our church. We need God to be over the leadership of our country. We need God to be over the leadership in our homes. Fill in the blank. And so I encourage you to consider that today. To keep track of that, because at the end of this six weeks, we're going to share those things. And trust God to move in ways you never expected or intended Him to move. Because when we seek after what God longs for, He's faithful to fulfill each and every promise thereafter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for the truth of Your Word. I thank You that You have given us the time to be able to hear, not only from Your Word, but then actively to hear what took place in Haiti. And Lord, uh, we continue to pray for those impacted Um, on that trip. Lord, the needs that are yet to be met, and Lord, many of those are God-sized needs, and, and we know and believe fully that you can accomplish those things. And so, Lord, I continue to pray for you to do miraculous things in that place. And Lord, that it would not just be there, but that you would do miraculous things in our midst to remind us time and time again of our desperate need for you, and that we would pursue that with everything we have. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and awesome name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week, church.